Hi, my name is Megan, and I'm a trans woman. And I'm Nate, assigned male at birth and living a male life. We're going to have a conversation about what it means to live an authentic life. If you're trans, think you might be trans, or know trans people but aren't one yourself, we have something interesting to talk about. Our goal is to normalize talking about the human experience. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Transversation. Transversation. Good morning, Megan. Good morning, Nate. I hear you've got a special guest lined up for us today. I do, and her name is Tiffany. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Good morning, friends. My name is Tiffany. I'm from New York, and I race bikes. <laughs> Good morning. This is wonderful. So what brings you to our podcast today? So we're going to talk about the role of and how transgender athletes fit into the scheme of competition, what it means to be an athlete as a transgender person. And for all sorts of exciting reasons, we are recording us right now during the Olympics, and we'll have this out as, as soon as possible. It is on uh, a lot of people's minds right now. Uh, and, and Megan, you were giving me some background uh, just off air a little while ago about uh, things that are going on with current events and schools and uh, trans legislation these days. Yes. Right now, there are a lot of states, um, and we can go into it a little bit more um, in, in a little bit, but um, there are a lot of states that are banning trans, uh, mostly trans kids, although some adult sports are also also being prohibited from allowing trans people to uh, participate. But let's get a little bit more information uh, about our guest. So you mentioned you were a cyclist. How long have you been cycling? So I'm relatively new to the sport. I've been cycling for about three years. And I got into the sport because I was really into yoga. And I live in New York City. And I was running to the subway one day because, as New Yorkers do, we often take until the last second to get to where we need to go. And I live at the base of the hill, so at the subway stations at the top, and I found that I was out of shape and out of breath, and I was afraid that I was going to have a heart attack at the age of 44 years old. So decided to buy one of those little Peloton bikes because my brother had one of those, and I figured, why not? It looks fun. And I loved it. I loved the community of it, and you're just getting shaken around my booty, and it made me feel pretty awesome. <laughs> And so, again, being a New Yorker, I took it to the next level, and I decided if I like it inside, maybe I'll like it outside. So I bought a bike, and I found a community. In New York City, there's a whole bunch of different bike clubs. One of those is the Rafa Cycling Club, and I joined that. And it had, historically, a exclusive kind of vibe to it, but I found that it actually wasn't. It was very inclusive, and it was very open and receptive to all people. Women, men, all color, shapes, and sizes, and they included me. And I fell in love with riding outside. And one of the women that I that befriended me got me into bike racing. And I did it for the first time, and I fell in love with it. I was not very good at, at it at the beginning. And I've progressively become a little better each race. And by no means am I really good at it. I'm mediocre at best elite cyclist, but... I love doing it. Mediocre elite is better than many of us will ever achieve. You mentioned you found a, a community and you, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but uh, have you found that uh, a lot of your races, especially in the competitive scene, have been kind of open to trans athletes or have you kind of had a, a little bit of a like uphill battle with that? I think it runs the whole gamut. So I think that 98, 99% of the population in New York City is very open and receptive and really inclusive and they really value having transgender athletes racing in the field that they identify in but there is a vocal one to two percent that 
does not feel that it's fair. And when I say fair, you know, it's just a code word for prejudice that they have and they want to discriminate against transgender individuals. One of my earliest experiences racing bikes out of the city was one of the teams that was local to the city. They walked by me and they said, I am so thankful that I don't have to race against you. I don't know, and it was a woman, what she actually meant, whether she meant that you look strong and I think that you're going to beat you, or that you're a transgender athlete and you don't belong with us and you don't belong there. And that's how I personally took it. A couple minutes later, I showed up to the, to the race start and one of the person's teammates said at the very beginning to one of the other teammates, transgender athletes don't belong racing with women. And it felt so demoralizing to me, and it felt like I didn't belong in the whole race that I had that day was spent on, do I really belong? Do I really want to do this? Am I going to find my place here? Because I got into cycling in the first place, not only for getting fit, but also to find people that I can hang around and to socialize with and to feel normal. You know, at the end of the day, to find my family. At that moment, you're still racing. What did you come to terms with? Clearly you made the decision to stay with it in the end. What happened in your mind that race? I felt that I did have friends there, and there were people that wanted me there. And this one person can't cloud my whole experience and yuck my yum. That I love bikes, and I want to continue to do it, and I want to be the best bike racer that I can be. It's one of those things where I want to make sure that other people don't dictate my future, that I help to have a seat at the table and a voice in what I do with my life. It's a fascinating thing with all of this, in, in hearing your personal story and combined with the fact that you, you've got a, a medical background heavy in research and analytics and clearly an interest in, in all things trans uh, medically and, and the rest of that. It seems like we have stumbled upon quite the right person to ask a number of these questions to. Yeah, and I just want to say thank you for being vulnerable right away. That is amazing. Um, so thank you for sharing that. But uh, the next question I have for you, since we we talked about it a little bit in the future, or in the past, I mean, there's about 26 states that have drafted some legislation to prohibit trans people from competing in sports. Um, what role do you think sports has in uh, our society and specifically the role for uh, kids and trans kids since a lot of these bills are, are targeting them? I think sports plays so many different roles, especially in formative years where you build your identity on being an athlete and your self-worth on, you know, can, how do I move my body? And, you know, part of it's, you know, the competition aspect, how well can I do it? But part of it's just how do I interact with other people? How do I socialize? How do I get to figure out how I fit in this world? And so to take this away from people and say that you don't belong sets the stage where you're telling the person that they're not enough. And so it already exacerbates this disequilibrium in the people's um, psychological well-being. And so it sets the stage for further making them feel that you know, they don't belong in their self-worth gets even smaller and smaller. And so I think that you know, to take that away from somebody with no scientific evidence that there is an advantage in the first place for a transgender woman is really criminal and it's really, really horrible. Absolutely sounds detrimental to somebody's well-being, especially if they were interested and wanted to play and then were somehow deprived of that. 
you mentioned, and I, I see these things in the news all the time, um, when you say that there is no clinical real difference or benefit, uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Megan, I know you had some very specific questions about the roles of hormones in uh, performance and, and things along those lines. Would you ask those questions, please? Yeah. So in your opinion, do you think having a particular puberty, like a testosterone-fueled puberty, uh, confer any ad- athletic advantage uh, over someone who's had an estrogen-fueled puberty? I personally don't think that there's any scientific evidence to support that notion. There's such huge variability within the population with other attributes such as hand size, height, wingspan, that that overshadows any other endocrine-based advantage that one might have. And and if we're going to talk about other advantages, I mean, let's not just talk about the advantage of biology, but let's talk about the advantage of nutrition, recovery, um, access to um, coaches, access to other equipment. For instance, bicycles are incredibly expensive and there's a big difference between a $1,000 bike and a $15,000 bike. And if we're talking about $1,000, $1,000 is a lot of money. $15,000 is an outrageous amount of money. And so access to all these is incredibly discriminatory and it's unfair. So to focus just on this one thing, I think is really not where we should focus on because there is no scientific evidence at this point to suggest that these hormone levels are making a difference. And we do have evidence over the years to know that there is a huge difference in athletic performance for individuals that have one of the top national coaches versus those that have no coaching at all, or those that have proper nutrition versus those that don't. And so, you know, why are we focusing so much energy on this one thing instead of saying, how are we making sports fair for all individuals and touching on everything. When we talk about fairness, a lot of this talk about fairness is really just code word for I have this prejudice and I don't want to call it for what it is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, And I've read numerous studies as well, probably similar or the same ones that you have, that the economic level of uh, an athlete um, will strongly determine their overall performance, just again, because they have access to coaches, equipment, um, you know, all sorts of uh, things, even nutrition, like you said. But uh, I guess the next question I have for you is, what do you think sports are? Are sports about like the competition of the sport? Is it about showing off like the human body's capability? What do you what do you think? My answer is yes. <laughs> I think that it's partly about competition. And I think that there are lessons, life lessons that you learn from competition, how you interact and how you play in society and learn to play by the rules. You know, whatever those are established within the game that you're playing, they're also you know showing about how bodies move and how you're able to leverage what different talents that your body has. And they're about community and finding friends. You know, they could be transient friends, those that you have on your team, or they could be lifelong friends. And they get formed at an early age, and they're just as important for kids as they are as adults. And so I think that sports really play an important role in the psyche of all humans. And so to take that away you know, for something as trivial in my eyes as how somebody was born or their chromosomes is really, for me, unfair and unjust. Oh, totally agree. I mean, it, it, you know, if we're trying to reach that that fair playing level, um, and of course, every sport is different. But for example, the example I, I came up with was uh, was Michael Phelps. He's got 
super long wingspan, big hands, you know, was absolutely dominant in his Olympic run. So in order to make everything quote unquote fair, do we now have to ban people with, you know, the advantages that that he has? Because, well, it's not fair to everyone else. If we're having a, you know, like a proper competition is what that particular thing is about. You know, do we need to re, I guess, do we do do sports need to reevaluate what gives advantages to uh, their specific sports. There's a, there's another level of all this too, which is, are we talking about trying to be the top percent of the top 1% in our ultimate victory conditions? Or are we talking about the playing of sports as a community event where we all get together and, and play? And those are also two very different things, but both have, have some value in their own, uh, in their own fields. Completely agree. And to a large part, you know, a lot of this has already been arbitrated by the IOC, you know, a couple of years ago, International Olympic Committee. And so they have sat and they've even revisited the hormone levels for female transgender athletes. It was previously 10 nanomolar and it's down now 5 nanomolar. And after a year, and that's the compliance that the International Olympic Committee has established that you have to show that your testosterone levels have been below five nanomoles per liter for the period of at least a year. There have been no scientific evidence that have supported any increased athletic ability for those individuals. And there are major differences and changes in the body that happen during the span of 12 months. There's changes in the hematocrit that you see. So you decrease the number of red blood cells that you have. And those red blood cells are what are circulating the oxygen to the peripheral tissues. A lot of the performance benefits that are derived from aerobic activity are through the shuttling of the oxygen from the lungs to the peripheral tissue. And so you can manipulate the system in a lot of individuals, for instance, in the Tour de France, which they've gotten a lot of flack over, they give um, chemical signals to the body, erythropoietin, that increase the production of red blood cells, that increase the performance. Um, blood transfusions do the same thing. Estradiol does the opposite, or the removal of testosterone also by decreasing the amount of red blood cells that you have. Same thing happens to the muscles as well. You have atrophy of the myofibril network, and so you have decreased skeletal muscle that's available to you. And so after a year, there really is no benefit to the athlete. Let me see if I'm hearing this correctly between the lines and all these things too, is that there are a number of ways to manipulate these various extra abilities and or things that are inhibiting your abilities that have nothing actually to do with hormones that people can do at this point. We have the technology and the abilities. We're able to manipulate these things independent and legally independent of your hormone levels. To be fair, the things that have been done historically in sport have been illegal. So the use of erythropoietin are illegal. The use of blood doping, so the collection of blood and then transfusing it back into the recipient are illegal. But they have been done and they are efficacious at increasing aerobic sport. If you want to talk about um, weightlifting, you know, it's been shown both anecdotally and scientifically that testosterone supplementation does indeed improve the anabolism of skeletal muscle, so makes the skeletal muscle bigger and stronger so you can move more weight. However, there is huge heterogeneity, so big variability in the amount of testosterone that are in cisgender men and women. And it's not been shown that somebody that has a higher than normal level for a cisgender woman of testosterone has an improved benefit of strength. However, 
if you give that person exogenous testosterone, so if you supplement that, then it does improve their performance. Conversely, if you decrease the testosterone level of anybody, it has been shown under almost all conditions that it does decrease muscle strength primarily through a decrease in the amount of muscle protein that's available to the individual. So it's by removing the testosterone, you remove the anabolic signal, make the muscle smaller, weaker, and there's very little difference between a cisgender and transgender woman. Wow. On the flip side, if we want to talk about fair, so transgender men, they are given testosterone. There's no testosterone limit at the moment for how much you can give them. And people, frankly, don't have a problem with transgender men competing with men. I don't have a problem either way. But, you know, if we're going to say, you know, what is fair? So if we're going to say, you know, transgender women should race or compete with the men, then are we going to say that transgender men should race or compete with women? Is that fair? And so where are we aligning our compass for what is fair? So are we really basing this on the idea that women are physically inferior to men and that men are physically superior to women in competition so that anybody who starts out as women could never beat somebody who started out as a man, so it's not a problem, but anybody who started out as a man and then wants to compete against women, that certainly wouldn't be okay because they would have a complete unfair advantage no matter what if we ignore all science. Is that really the foundation of this when we, when we break the whole thing down? I think so. All of the science, all of the logic, all of the research, all says, contrary to this example that I just gave, yet we are still pursuing legislation and rules, at least in the United States. As you, as you said, the IOC is, uh, has come up with a different set, but we're still culturally going to this set of beliefs and trying to make our sports and our competition in our children's lives measure up to this, this set of stereotypes. Well, and Nate, I think you've just stumbled on onto something here. Discrimination and bigotry? Absolutely not logical. It's backed by nothing. They have no argument, no real argument. So they have to just constantly attack. And that's what we see. Wow, we started out as sports and are now realizing and come to this, this ultimate conclusion that in fact, all of these biases and things could be dispelled with proper education and just human respect of getting to know one another. I guess that's why we set out to do this whole thing in the first place, though. Yes. Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to completely derail your conversation. It was fascinating, but I had this this moment where it was just kind of clicking at just how big what we're talking about really is. I do apologize. Please continue with what you were saying. No, this is what we need. This is what we want. We want people to have that moment uh, where they, they realize this. I was just going to say, I just think that it's so important that we normalize what transgender is so that we make it so that everybody understands what it means to be transgender. It's analogous to what being gay and lesbian was 30 years ago, that you just need to meet and be exposed to other individuals that are different than you so that you understand they're really not that different. Not that different. That's what we keep coming back to is one of those interesting things that I took. I was taking a, a history of African-Americans uh, in college a couple of times. And uh, one of the topics in there, and, and this was further uh, reinforced when I was taking anthropology class, uh, genetic differences between black people and white people are, are a fraction of a percent. 
because uh, all we're really talking about is a handful of uh, modifiers, a handful of attributes. Whereas the difference between, for example, me and uh, Megan being even from different parts of Europe in our family ancestry probably have more differences than anything that could be measured in skin color. We are far different than somebody just with a different skin color. And it all boils down to these, these cultural perceptions that have nothing actually to do with biology or anything else. And what you're talking about here is a breakdown in the way the human body functions and how hormones play really a tiny role in the actual uh, physical abilities that people have. And at the end of the day, what we're talking about is kids playing sports. Ultimately, you know, we're not talking about you know, going to the Olympics at, at this point. And so in the big scheme of things, let's let kids be kids and do what they should be doing. And that's moving around and having fun. Brilliant. Megan, did you have anything else you wanted to add on at this point? Yeah, I mean, just let kids be kids. Let kids build their friendships and communities and, uh, you know, and exist. Let, let's let everybody exist. I was, was going to say, let, let's refuse to be ignored. You know, at the end of the day, that kids have a right to exist, whether they're cisgender or transgender, and let them have fun. Tiffany, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. I am so glad our paths crossed. Uh, thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge and experience and vulnerability and stories and science with us. Uh, I know I'm better off for hearing this, and I'm, I'm very grateful to you for spending your time with us today. Yes, thank you for coming on. We do very much appreciate it. Thank you for having me.